Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on August 19th, 2022 from my parents' house in James Island. And I'm not alone. AT's here too. We're at the dining room table, not the closet. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast, though, may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features a substantial politics section dedicated to the latest legal rulings, legislation, and action on abortion-related issues and legislation in the state. We have a quick business section looking at some changes at the Port of Charleston, retail sales, and more. And in medical, we look at a report, a debrief, if you will, on how the state handled the COVID-19 pandemic and what changes can be made to improve responses to future pandemics. And of course, we love hearing from you guys. It's my understanding that the hopper is, it's got a couple messages in there. So we're very happy about that, but treat it like it's empty and give us a call at 803-563-7169. Leave us your name, where you're calling from, and what's going on in your world. We love hearing from you guys. Give us a shout. We love hearing from our listeners. Tell us what you're up to. School's back. Kids are gone. Maybe you have a moment to think and call. 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is high, according to county-level data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. From August 7th through the 13th, there were 12,726 new cases of COVID-19, which was down 22% from the week before, according to DHEC. There were eight new deaths, which were down 20% as well, and a percent positive of 21.3% in the state. On average, there were 590 South Carolinians hospitalized with COVID-19 last week, 80 were in intensive care, and 27 were on ventilators. Currently, 52.7% of eligible South Carolinians are fully vaccinated. The biggest news of the week is that the six-week abortion ban known as the fetal heartbeat law is no longer in effect for the time being in the state. The South Carolina Supreme Court unanimously granted an emergency injunction on behalf of Planned Parenthood South Atlantic and others that have sued the state over the law saying it violates South Carolinians' right to privacy, a right that was granted under Roe v. Wade for nearly 50 years but was overturned in late June. Shortly thereafter, The fetal heartbeat law, passed in January 2021, went into effect after having been thrown out of federal appeals court days after the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization decision. That prompted abortion advocates to challenge the new law, which outlaws abortion as early as six weeks when a transvaginal ultrasound to detect the electrical pulse that indicates cardiac activity. This isn't a heartbeat as the heart isn't even formed yet. That doesn't happen until 17 to 20 weeks. That being said, the language and the injunction is interesting and shows that we got quite the legal slug on our hands here. The court wrote, quote, At this preliminary stage, we are unable to determine with finality the constitutionality of the act under our state's constitutional prohibition against unreasonable invasions of privacy. This is due in part because in response to the landmark 1973 Roe decision, The next year, the South Carolina legislature essentially codified the Roe framework dealing with a woman's right to privacy, which is at the center of the current legal challenge. Now, let's get wonky. In Section 44-41-710 of the Fetal Heartbeat and Protection from Abortion Act, it provides that its enactment 
must not be construed to repeal by implication or otherwise section 44-41-20, the codification of Roe, or any otherwise applicable provision of SC law regulating or restricting abortion. It necessarily follows that the codification of Roe in section 44-41-20 remains part of the public policy of this state, notwithstanding the recent act. Okay, so Roe was overturned nationwide, but lawmakers in 1974 codified it, so basically Roe is the law of the Palmetto State, which the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals was working to see if the Fetal Heartbeat Act was in violation of before it was dismissed in June. That's a little cheat sheet there for your quiz. So again, the six-week abortion ban law has been temporarily suspended pending further action in the court, and abortions are once again legal for up to 20 weeks. The state Supreme Court decided that before a lot of the comments you're about to hear, so just a heads up if anything sounds confusing. Okay, so this week was a big one, as the Republican-controlled Statehouse continues its push to restrict access to abortions even further in the state following the Dobbs decision. And it's getting messy, and will only get worse in the days and weeks ahead. And that's not just partisan. The House Judiciary Committee passed its abortion bill along party lines, even with some Republicans choosing not to vote for the measure that they don't support or see as being thoroughly vetted by the committee before sending it to the House floor, where of course more amendments can be added. That's going to happen August 30th. The committee was presented with language for H5399, the House's restrictive abortion bill spearheaded by Greenwood Republican Representative John McCravey. It would outlaw all abortions in the state, except in the case of the life of the mother being threatened. Right now, there are exceptions for rape, incest, and the life of the mother for abortions in South Carolina after six weeks. Here's Representative McCravey, who chaired the ad hoc committee on the legislation, H5399. Uh, The number one thing that this bill does is to end the practice of abortion being used as birth control in our state. The number one thing the bill does not do is to endanger the health care of women in any way. In fact, this was the number one misconception we found repeated in the public hearing that somehow women's health care could be endangered by this proposed law. Nothing and absolutely nothing could be further from the truth. Both the current fetal heartbeat law and this proposed law contain carefully crafted provisions protecting the life and serious bodily health of the mother. Neither law prevents any type of emergency care to save the life or serious bodily health of the mother. In fact, the mother's health and life is a primary concern and is fully protected in this legislation. Now, all the Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee spoke out passionately against the bill during the two-hour hearing on Tuesday, and of course voted against it as well. And of course there were tense moments between Democrats and even one Republican with Judiciary Chairman Chris Murphy, who was seen as cutting off lawmakers' comments as he sought to push the bill through, including easily Republican Representative Neil Collins, who spoke of the ramifications of his previous vote for the fetal heartbeat bill and the result of that action. Now this is a bit of a longer clip, but take a listen. I voted for the pain-capable bill, the fetal heartbeat bill, and fetal heartbeat has been for six weeks now. The second week that this, that the fetal heartbeat bill became law, a doctor called me out of Anderson. I live in Easley. A 19-year-old girl appeared at the ER. She was 15 weeks pregnant. Her water broke. And the, the fetus was unviable. 
the standard of care was to advise her uh, that they could extract or she could go home. The attorneys told the doctors that because of the fetal heartbeat bill, because that 15-week-old had a heartbeat, the doctors could not extract. So their only choices were to admit the 19-year-old until that fetal heartbeat stopped. I asked, how long does it take to stop? She said, seconds, minutes, hours, maybe days, or discharge. They discharged that 19-year-old. The doctor told me at that point, there's a 50% chance, well, first, she's going to pass this fetus in the toilet. She's going to have to deal with that on her own. There's a 50% chance, greater than 50% chance, that she's going to lose her uterus. There's a 10% chance that she will develop sepsis and herself die. That weighs on me. I voted for that bill. These are affecting people, and we're having a meeting about this. It took that whole week I did not sleep. I followed up with the doctor a week later. She had heard nothing, did not know about the 19-year-old. Thank God I followed up. Two weeks later, she did return to the ER. They did extract the now non-beating fetus. What we do matters. Thank you, Representative Collins. Oh, one second, Mr. Chairman. I'm almost finished. Out of respect for the process, I'm not voting today. But I want it to be clear that myself and many others are not in a position to vote for this bill without significant changes to the bill. So did you get that intra-party tension right there? That's because there's tension with this bill, of course among Democrats and Republicans, but also among Republicans as you just heard. While there may be a plan for comments and amendments to be brought up on the House floor instead of committee, the tension is there <laughs> and it's only gonna get more and more ratcheted up. Now consider this, the Abortion Ad Hoc Committee took all seven hours of testimony at one meeting for this bill. That's less input than the 15 hours we heard on legislation dealing with critical race theory, a concept that is not even taught in K-12 schools in the state, let alone the debate over medical marijuana that's been going on for years. Now the quick debate and shortness of Murphy not even granting deference to those speaking even when he was 30 minutes late to the meeting has rubbed many on the committee the wrong way. That's another aspect, another dynamic that we're watching is the fighting on Judiciary Committee now. But we just heard from Representative McCravey a minute ago about how the current fetal heartbeat law and this proposed bill don't threaten the life of the mother. But you just heard Representative Neil Collins recount a dramatic situation in which a constituent couldn't get proper care without substantial risk. And that is not an isolated incident under the current law, which again, there's been a temporary injunction granted. We'll get more into what frontline medical professionals are experiencing when we jump to the Senate in a moment. But under the House plan, as currently proposed, it would only make exception for the life of the mother to get an abortion, and lays out certain conditions in which an abortion would be legal, such as an ectopic pregnancy, miscarriage, a DNC, molar pregnancies, uterine rupture, and others. While there's not an exhaustive list, there is some leeway for doctors who could be prosecuted if they perform an illegal abortion in the bill. Pregnant women who receive an illegal abortion are not subject to penalties under this bill, and medical professionals would be subjected to losing their license, statutory damages, and $10,000 per violation. Restricting travel to other states for an abortion is not in this bill due to obvious constitutionality issues. Now, unlike the House Judiciary Committee, which we were just hearing from, the full Senate Medical Affairs Committee 
had nearly nine hours of testimony Wednesday about abortions in South Carolina. So as we know, the six-week abortion ban was in effect from June 27th through August 17th. And again, currently, there is a temporary injunction. But that led to confusion among frontline healthcare providers. Here's Dr. Dawn Bingham, an OBGYN of 20 years in South Carolina. She gave several examples of that confusion. Medications could not be available to women of reproductive age because pharmacists don't want to be seen giving medications that could be possibly used for abortion or to possibly be teratogenic. Miscarriages not being treated appropriately and people not seeking care because there's a lack of access to mesoprostol to complete miscarriage because pharmacies have stopped stocking it, even though it has helped women who are having miscarriage, also known as an incomplete abortion. Women not seeking care because they are fearful that they are going to be under suspicion for having a self-managed abortion, even though you can't tell the difference, or maybe because you can't tell the difference, between an incomplete abortion and self-managed abortion. Mistrust. Part of the normal course of history taking with a patient is their menstrual history. And I have patients now saying, I'm not going to give you my full menstrual history because I don't want to be tracked about when my last menstrual period was in the electronic medical record. Dilation and curatage. Got the answer to this one. It was astounding. We had a patient with a life-threatening postpartum hemorrhage after the normal delivery of a healthy baby. To save her life, she needed a dilation and curatage, but when we called the operating room to let them know that we were coming, the, the response we got initially was, you can't do that surgery anymore. It's illegal. So let me be clear. D ampersand C, not D and C, D ampersand C is a common and often life-saving procedure used to solve heavy menstrual bleeding, heavy postpartum bleeding, complete a miscarriage, perform an abortion. The fact that legislators do not know this or how it is appropriately abbreviated and yet choose to try to legislate how we practice medicine is reckless at best and malicious at worst. But pediatrician Dr. Parker Rogers of Greenville has a different stance and believes like many anti-abortion advocates, that human life begins at conception. These preborn children have a life to live and deserve the protection of the state from premature termination of their lives. As a pediatrician who daily seeks the well-being of children, hear me cry out on their behalf, mercy, mercy, mercy. Show us mercy. Let us live. Let us live. I wanted to share a brief story about a patient I took care of working as a resident physician in the NICU. After many long months and sleepless nights, I noticed my mind becoming judgmental and a little prideful. I recall feeling frustrated by the time and resources I was spending on a particular four-month-old, four-month-old shouldn't be in the NICU, a patient with multiple health conditions, and was frustrated with what our team were doing. This patient was very medically complex, and one day on rounds, though, I noticed a sign for the first time above her bed her mother made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. <clears throat> I was pierced through my heart and humbled in that moment, remembering that each life and human being deserves the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Susan Dunn, a civil rights lawyer of more than 40 years, including 12 years as legal director of the South Carolina ACLU, presented part of the right to privacy argument that we're seeing being argued in South Carolina's courts right now. Instead of settling that argument first, she said the legislature is recklessly going forward with new abortion legislation before there's even a ruling on the current laws on the books. South Carolina already has 
an abortion statute on the books that is in effect that is being tested in court. It's being tested in state court, and it's being tested in state court exactly the way that Dobbs asked for it to be. Let the state decide. The state of South Carolina, in its wisdom, put a specific right to privacy in our state constitution in the 1970s. It's that right to privacy that is being defined in the courts, the South Carolina courts right now. The right to privacy seems kind of vague, but I can stand before you as a woman and let you know that my uterus is about the most private thing I have. If you can't search my house for criminal behavior without my consent or a specific warrant, how do you get to search my uterus to find out that I'm pregnant even before I know I am? Because you're saying that if life begins at fertilization, then, then my uterus no longer belongs to me, it belongs to you. And I don't think the government wants that responsibility. Now, there is a Senate abortion bill floating around, but there are so many changes planned in the House and Senate that I don't want to get you all tethered to too much specific language right now. So we've already heard about the House version. That's going to be the first one moving through in the first place. We'll stick with that for now. So again, yes, that was a very in-depth section there for you on the current state of pending abortion legislation. And a reminder again that the state Supreme Court has temporarily blocked the six-week abortion ban and that the procedure is once again legal and available again to those who are pregnant up to 20 weeks. Apologies if that section was confusing. I try to make it as least confusing as possible. It's a very confusing situation. Quick data point to start out our business section with. Yes, yes, data. Data. Retail sales. Did you expect it? Of course you did. You listen to the top. That's the measure of spending at stores, online, and in restaurants, aka two-thirds of our consumer economy. Well, they were flat in July compared to June. This according to the Commerce Department. Though June's numbers were up 0.8% more than they were originally reported. So spending has been maintaining despite the two quarters of negative growth. Recession? Mm, still spending. Moving on, the South Carolina Ports Authority said this week that all 15 towering ship-to-shore cranes are installed and working at the Wando Welch Terminal. Talk about moving things and buying things. We need these cranes because the new ship-to-shore cranes have 155 feet of lift height and the ability to reach out over 22 containers to work the biggest ships call on the East Coast. Full of all that stuff that you bought. It's all there. <laughs> the SCPA says that crane operators officially move containers on and off ships, helping to keep the supply chain fluid. That's how it works. The agency also says that the cranes are a key part of the port's $500 million investment to modernize Wando Welch. The multi-year project enhanced capacity and operations with new container handling equipment, a modernized container yard, and refrigerated cargo yard, improved traffic patterns, and IT systems, just to name a few. And on the way out, of course, you know it, I know it, gas prices, they continue to fall. I'm doing my best, folks. I told you I do a tremendous work here. The average price for a gallon of gas in the state is now $3.47. That's down 52 cents from a month ago. South Carolina has the fifth cheapest price for gas in the country, according to AAA. Take that, Georgia. Data. Hey. 
In July 2021, the South Carolina Institute of Medicine and Public Health and the North Carolina Institute of Medicine launched the Carolina's Pandemic Preparedness Task Force. This two-state task force was charged with examining lessons learned during the COVID-19 pandemic and developing consensus around actionable recommendations for a resilient future. The work of the task force was guided by a focus on equity, a cross-sector approach to health and well-being, and attention to the needs of vulnerable and historically marginalized populations, which have been disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. Furthermore, the scope of the task force work was structured around four conceptual pillars, economic and social stability, education, equity, and health. Now, the purpose of this report is to offer policymakers and other stakeholders a set of actionable recommendations based on a shared vision tailored to the needs of South Carolinians. I'm saying all that because this week, several members of the task force presented the findings to the press, including Dr. Harris Pastides. You know him as President Emeritus of the University of South Carolina, and he co-chaired the task force, which met seven times over the past year. I spoke with Pastides about some of the biggest takeaways from this report for him. Well, certainly, first of all, the comprehensive nature of it, looking at workforce, looking at uh, education, looking at supply chain. Um, I mentioned, though, that one of the one of the recommendations of the reports is next time keep schools open. How valuable is that for our society in South Carolina to know that people who studied this said, be prepared to be virtual, be prepared to be hybrid, but don't close the schools because we learned about the devastating impact on students, on learning, on their families, on teachers. And so the report is chock full of uh, detailed and specific recommendations like that and many, many more. Dr. Brandon Traxer, you know her as South Carolina's Director of Public Health at DHEC, said that the agency learned several lessons since the pandemic, some of which they're implementing during the outbreak of monkeypox in the state. I think that we are much better prepared to just organize ourselves in a way that is very functional and um, is very responsive in a much faster uh, mechanism. Now we are we're very good at standing up an emergency response, as Dr. as Director Stinson noted for hurricanes. But uh, this was the first, you know, pandemic of this size, at least, then first one since the the 2009 H1N1 that DHEC had been involved in, and so we really learned how to utilize all aspects of the agency, not just the public health deputy area, um, and how to get everyone involved and organized and how to work with partners. I think one of the biggest takeaways from this has been our developing relationships with partners at the local community level, the state level, even the federal level. So that really is something we continue to emphasize and will continue to build those relationships and leverage them if there is an emergency in the future. It is uh, different than COVID-19 in that the pace at this time is not the same pace that COVID-19 was, thankfully. Uh, but that is because of the way that this is spread. This is not the risk to the general public right now um, that by this point in the pandemic for COVID-19 it was. And so we are not stood up in a formal emergency response, but certainly have many aspects of the agency working on it, some more full-time and others you know, sporadically. But um, we also are communicating with partners, the South Carolina Hospital Association, the Medical Association, have been invaluable at helping us get information on testing and treatments and vaccines to providers. South Carolina Emergency Management Division Director Kim Stenson is used to working with his team and partnering agencies during emergencies and natural disasters, such as hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, and severe weather. The response to the COVID pandemic was entirely different. 
with different needs, objectives, and problems. Here's Stenson. COVID-19 was also a nationwide event, which caused some uh, additional issues there. Certainly, uh, you know, the supply chain issues that we had on a nationwide uh, basis was very, uh, was very important to get that solved. And just as an example for, for us and probably everybody else in the country was the personal protective equipment. Uh, certainly, there's a tremendous shortage of that. Everybody needed it. Uh, and we started uh, with here in the state basically with zero personal protective equipment. Uh, we keep things like ta- uh, tarps and sandbags and food and water, but we never uh, had a reserve for, uh, for that particular area. But, but we do have that now. But uh, we ended up distributing millions of dollars of equipment throughout all 46 counties here in South Carolina. Well, the state is now prepared for when PPE is needed next time, as you heard. And like everyone was saying during this press conference, there will be a next time, which is a little worrisome to think about. Now, this report is very in-depth with dozens of recommendations from public health and behavioral health to education and workforce development, especially when it comes to growing the medical field in the state, something that was already lacking even before the pandemic. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic, and of course, we want to hear your stories as well, how you're handling things, what's new with you. Summer is going to soon turn into fall, even though I don't like when people start talking about other seasons before the current one is over, specifically summer. We want to know your thoughts, favorite season. So much to talk about. Back to school, BTS. There, there's even your favorite season, even. And so <laughs> then I, we could talk about children's crimes names. Yes. We can talk about what is and isn't appropriate a... breakfast food. Like, we got we, we got a lot of things so many you can things. call in and, and sound off on. 803-563-7169. That could be a kid's name right there. I mean, I like it. 803. Never forget where you're from, kid. Okay. 803 for life. That's you. You're my boy. Mr. Worldwide. Mr. Mr. 305. Dale. You know what I mean? Same difference. <laughs> okay, we're going off. But we do have a voicemail. <laughs> yes. Before we start spiraling. Uh, yes, we have a voicemail, Gavin. Um, also, thank you for having me at the illustrious James Island studio. Yes. I, I love this. Love, don't you love the echo in I here? I love what you've done with the echo in here. And um, anyway, so are you ready? You yes. ready? Okay. Okay. Here we go. Hello, this is Aaron in Clover. Happy to say that my parents just moved to Columbia. Nobody saw that coming. They love it. And I was wondering if you have any tips for newcomers to the area. Great restaurants, things to do, the park situation. Uh, sorry, I got distracted. The kids need me. Um, I'll be right there. I'll just say it. Larceny, put that down. Oh, Aaron, bringing us a bit like that. Oh, love that. We're about to have to call her Larceny Aaron because that's how yeah. you get a nickname in these that, this parts, This is how folks. you earn a nickname here. You, you write a bit, okay? <laughs> we didn't hear that first name she mentioned, but Larceny, I think, would be probably the only name you could name your kid. It's close. That would work. Yeah, it's close. Still cringe, but Larceny, <laughs> Lar, Lars. Larcy. Uh, yeah, Misdemeanor. I, I mean, I Missy? can't. Uh, Aaron, I cannot tell you how proud yeah i am that you wrote a bit that that, was that, that we got bits coming i mean mm-hmm. we got roman who hits three minutes on the dot <laughs> yes. every single time yes. mr minute man three minute man roman 
That's another, that's a second. <laughs> so you got to earn these nicknames. But I mean, so now we got Aaron, Bits Aaron, Larceny Aaron, <laughs> loving this. Absolutely loving this. Thank you so much for calling in. Jakarta, As, Jakarta Tom, wherever Jakarta you are. Jakarta Tom, yeah. Wherever, I mean, God. Please Jakarta send Tom. a message, Jakarta Tom. Trader Joe, where Trader are you? Joe. Where are you? I'm yeah. thinking of you. Oh, man. I Beautiful. miss all these people. Anyway. Towner anyway, McGill, that's just his name. That's He's just called that, I guess. Um, but anyway, the 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 ch- tips and tricks for living in Colombia. I mean, there's the, oh yeah, there's the obvious. There's obviously you're gonna deal with trains. Oh, I mean the trains are just a fact. Learn of your life. roots. Learn yes. your times. You gotta spaces. figure out those ways to get around them without mm-hmm. risking your life. But they're they are necessary. The challenge is it's enjoyable. I will say, <sighs> I love as getting as close to hit as possible by those trains. I, feel I was so going alive. through a crossing the other day when the arms were coming down. I've never felt more alive. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't. You couldn't even see it. You couldn't even hear it. So I was. I've I've gotten very close. I mean, <laughs> were the arms down? You're like, I'm gonna go around. I, there were no arms, first of all, because <laughs> it's psycho down here sometimes. And I would say it was about twenty feet from me. Okay, that's creepy. And I zoomed by it. I was like, hell no. If I die, I die. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm the not- lead says stop for railroad crossing. <laughs> but I was hungry and I wanted to get lunch. Gavin knows that go. this whole podcast revolves around my lunch. So anyway, good. Yeah, that's a good transition. Good transition to good food transition. places to eat in, in Colombia. We yes. obviously like a lot of places on Main Street. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say halls and bourbon, always easy go to's. People they obsess are over cantina. Whatever. If I'm going to say a Mexican place, yes. Gavin and I agree. Our spot is Tacos Nayarit. It's mm-hmm. out on Percival Road. It's very easy to get to. That place is amazing. And it's I great, heard authentic, this is, delicious food. Oh, it's amazing. It's everyone that works there is a little abuela shoveling out amazing food. <sighs> so There's cool. also, I found a new one called Tacos El Puebla mm. next to Whole Foods down there off Garner's Ferry. Okay. That place is great. I can't recommend that enough. What yes. else you got, Gavin? Um, oh, I was just going to mention a place that I love for coffee is this new little shop that just opened on Rosewood. <laughs> bespoke, very it's, bespoke. Oh, I, I've never seen it before, but I think it's um, Starbuck. Oh, yeah. Starbucks. I think it's West Coast It's yeah. yeah, I think it's like a new import, <laughs> but it's so great. Yeah, your parents that. need to know that whenever anything <laughs> is built in Colombia, it will be either a Starbucks, a car wash, <laughs> yes. or what else do we get? A vape shop. A vape shop. Oh, those, yeah. Those are the things that we get here. Per square mile. <laughs> I don't want to think about what's in one square mile. Uh, of course, I got a pump because I'm contractually obligated. I have to say, if you're looking for some beers downtown, you got to go to Craft, Craft and Draft. Draft. Anything on Divine Street's wonderful, too. Yeah, a lot of fun stuff. Including nightcaps, if you're up for that. <laughs> yeah, baby. It's an acquired taste. but I, don't, uh, I think, like... Nightcaps is great. Sure, is it a dive? Yeah. Will you see legislators and everyone bridal parties and add the 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 dregs of society there? Hundred percent. They're all there together. Is there carpet in a bar? <laughs> yes. Do they and never it, turn the lights on? Yes. Do don't, you want to go there during the day? Not no. if you don't have to. <laughs> But they do take your credit card, so sometimes you do if you get it back. <laughs> These are the insider tips that you come here for, folks. Uh, what else is there? And there's I love Rockaways. That's my yeah. go-to bar too, besides Craft and Draft. It's a great Pine burger night, spot. Thursday nights, Yinglings all Yinglings. day. Um, if you're looking for the best burger in town, mm-hmm. you got to look at uh, Max on Laurel Street. Yes. That Max place, and Rockaways, but definitely Max. Oof, for sure. Max is amazing, so good. And you got to tell them like if they're moving from out of state, mm-hmm. you got to try things like Zestos or something like that. Right. Get the usual, yeah. Um, um, 
the fried chicken place across from the, the Bernie's. Scene. Yeah, Bernie's for fried chicken. Zesto's for fried chicken too, under of the course, giant cone. Yeah, got me thinking about that. And then Enzo's, we love their Italian sandwiches. Yes, it's great deli. Joe, the owner of of Enzo's, he is a, he's a real paisano. He mm-hmm. um is from New York, Long Island area. So when he's throwing together a hoagie, he knows what to put on there. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for a good what foot and a half long sandwich yeah. that yeah. is going to devastate you and make you take a take a nap. Go go oh. go! See Joe at Enzo's. Very good. We just good had stuff. a great one down here in Charleston at Cersei's. If you're in Charleston, <laughs> oh, yeah, go to Cersei's for a sandwich. That's all we got. I mean, but your go-to pizza place now. I don't even know what that is anymore. Nikki's is gone. Yeah, yeah, I know. They're they're still out on Main Street in Lexington. So you got to go to Il Focolare's of the world. You got to go to to Thirsty Fellow has pretty good bar pies mm-hmm. too. So I like that kind of stuff. Uh, but anyway, I mean, if, if anyone else has any good suggestions or they just want to talk about how great ours were, <laughs> come on, call it. 803 <laughs> But yeah, we're uh, coming to you live from James Allen because we're on assignment this week, AT. Oh, yes. Yes, we are. Chasing spooks and ghouls in Charleston right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think we've already said more than enough. It, it, this may be the last time you hear my voice as I did do a ritual to summon a spirit. And we don't know if it worked or not. We don't think it worked. I offered the spirit a <laughs> <Myself>. replica, <laughs> my, beyond myself, a replica Super Bowl ring for the Philadelphia Eagles, which I mean... Who could say no? Yeah, what kind know? of spirit wouldn't want to be attracted to that? I said, AT, please don't get possessed. And you said, I don't care. I said, I don't I don't want that attitude. That's how they get you. That's how they get you. I, I have a Ouija board in the mail. Gavin is uncomfortable with that. Um, so uh, The yeah. people need a podcast, and without their producer, without their papa, without their boy, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Because <laughs> uh, Gavin doesn't want to edit this stuff, folks. I mean, I'm be honest I, with you. He I, doesn't want to do it. It's hard to do laying down. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, Gavin, again, he is prone. He is down right now. But uh, it's a whole separate setup. Anyway, James yeah, Island. he needs. I got to refill his water, <laughs> so we got to go. Uh, <laughs> call if you have anything to say. If you want to talk about how great we are, how smart we are, like go ahead, Please call in. It. Please call in and give me your favorite crime baby names because oh, my friend, we've, we've been thinking. My friend Jake, he is um, devastated that I brought this up. He's very upset that I talked to you about it. So please call in, deride him, or support him. I mean, he won't see that coming. Anyway, all, all we have is yeah. Have yeah. a. <laughs> Have a good weekend. Don't get possessed. Yes. Mind your stay, spirits, stay your P's calm. and Q's, and uh, uh, just watch the soul of your loved ones. <laughs> God. Yeah, also think of those names, too, because all we have right now is arson, which not going for, and then then larceny, of course. But misdemeanor, I'm, I'm kind of prone to Missy misdemeanor. Missy misdemeanor. But again, you are just setting your children up to have these nicknames for when they actually do get arrested, they're yeah. going to be just Gavin the is, people of the internet. Gavin so. is more ahead, sure folks. than ever. That any crime name you give a child, self-fulfilling prophecy, <laughs> they will commit that crime. Arson is going to be a firebug, and he's going to be a little firebug. And I Larceny, can't <laughs> watch your pockets. I can't fault him on that. Anyway, have a okay. good weekend, folks. Say goodbye, Gavin. All right, folks. Well, thanks for listening to the pod. As always, you can show us your appreciation by leaving us a voicemail, like Aaron did at eight zero three five six three seven one six nine, or a review on iTunes. You can also stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Now for... Ooh, <laughs> baby. Well, as you get older, there are changes to your body. <laughs>